Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategy International podcast. Uh, if this is your first time here, I encourage you to go over our um, our audio platforms, anywhere you get your podcast from, subscribe uh, and review the, pa- the the podcast as well. You can head on over to YouTube as well and subscribe to that page and you can share that, uh, that content. Um, we have another uh, amazing guest today on the podcast, uh, Shishir Upadhyaya. Thank you so much, sir, for, uh, for, for being on the program. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be on your uh, platform, George. We appreciate your time and uh, we know that everyone has a busy schedule. So the fact that you're taking time off that schedule to be with us and to share uh, the knowledge that you have uh, is very much appreciated. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about something that at least where I'm from in Canada, we don't get to hear much of in the news. We're going to talk, we're going to focus a lot on the Indo-Pacific region. We're going to talk about India. We're going to talk about China, uh, the balance of power in that region, uh, how things have been shifting uh, lately. Uh, and it's going to be very interesting. So I'm looking forward to the discussion that we have, that we're going to have. Uh, before we get onto that, though, just uh, for the benefit, uh, benefit of everyone listening or watching, you have had quite a lengthy experience as a naval officer uh, in India. That's right. How does that whole journey start? This is something interesting to me. How did, how do you make that decision uh, to serve uh, your country? Is that something that is entrenched in the values there in India or is it a decision that you made? Well, uh, I uh, always had an interest uh, uh, in the sea, you know, and uh, that's... Uh, a naval career was quite obvious. So uh, I joined the Navy. Uh, uh, in fact, I joined the military academy at the age of about 17. And then I was commissioned into the Navy, you know, uh, uh, by the time I just turned 20. And uh, spent many years at sea, uh, in fact, about over 11 years uh, seagoing experience uh, in my career, uh, including uh, all kinds of ships. Uh, I started my career as a midshipman on an aircraft carrier. Um, and then uh, uh, I've uh, served on multiple other ships in the fleet, uh, destroyers, frigates, uh, and I also had the opportunity to sail extensively in the Indo-Pacific region. Mm-hmm. And uh, subsequently, I specialized in uh, naval intelligence. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> following my naval career, I transitioned to academia. And I pursued further studies that did my PhD uh, from the University of Wollongong in Australia, uh, specializing in maritime studies. And uh, so that's been the journey. And I'm now a professor at the American University in the Emirates, uh, teaching at uh, you know the College of Security Studies. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Obviously, India, uh, uh, an important uh, naval uh, country. You are uh, the main, I would say, um, a naval force in the Indian Ocean. What were the main uh, What were the main challenges that you had to either train for or always be on the lookout? Are we talking about pirates, uh, illegal pirates, or was there anything else about you know the the um, any threat to the naval um, territories right. of, of India? So yeah, 
good question. See, uh, the Indian Navy is uh, the largest uh, resident naval power in the Indian Ocean region. Of course, the United States is also present uh, in strength, but uh, they're not a resident power per se. And uh, the Indian Navy is uh, probably the fourth largest Navy in the world. And if you read the Indian uh, maritime strategy, uh, and the strategy actually articulates, uh, you know, the range of threats that India faces. And that includes uh, uh, the non-traditional threats, like you mentioned, pirates and um, smuggling and um, terror, maritime terrorism, uh, which uh, we call as non-traditional threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to you know, uh, uh, you know, the entire spectrum of threats. If you look at the one end is the non-traditional threats, and at the other end you have uh, long-term strategic threats uh, of a geopolitical nature, like uh, threat from China, from Pakistan. Uh, and uh, other threats like climate change, for example, and the impact it would have on uh, countries in the region. And um, uh, because India is one of the largest uh, navies, uh, one of the largest uh, economies in the region, and uh, other countries uh, in the Indian Ocean region are essentially smaller states uh, like Sri Lanka, Maldives in South Asia, Mauritius, Madagascar, which have very limited capacity. So it is the Indian Navy which has now uh, become the the key provider of uh, security for the region. And that Mm -hmm. is also one of the stated uh, objectives uh, or the strategic vision uh, of India to be the key provider of security for the region. Uh, Because India has actually a surplus of security capacity compared to the other smaller states. And uh, you can see that the Indian Navy has participated extensively in providing security, you know, be it in, uh, uh, you know, in anti-piracy, in terms of anti-piracy patrols, um, surveillance in the exclusive economic zone, uh, assistance, humanitarian assistance uh, in case of natural disasters. Uh, the Indian Navy has uh, deployed its ships all over the region. Uh, you know, recently ha- in Madagascar, there, were, there was a cyclone where the Navy mm-hmm. had been deployed and many other occasions <laughs> like this. How does that presence, uh, it's interesting that you're mentioning that you've taken on this role of guaranteeing the security in the region because of the advantage that India has as a naval force. How does that, um, how does that bode with the relate with respect to the relations, um, you know, the political relations with some other countries <coughs> in the region? I'm thinking, for example, of Sri Lanka or other uh, countries where uh, politically, perhaps the relations weren't always uh, at best. Yeah, so uh, that's also one of the objectives of India's maritime strategy to establish a favorable environment uh, in the Indian Ocean region or the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, And India has over the years built very robust uh, bilateral relations with many of the countries. Sri Lanka and Maldives, for example, are live within South Asia, which is the core area of interest for India and uh, our sphere of influence. uh, you know, encompasses uh, not just these countries, but also Bangladesh and Nepal. And therefore, India has been um, a very important partner for all these countries. And uh, we have uh, fairly robust defense cooperation uh, arrangements with all these countries, also with many countries in Southeast Asia. Uh, then there are other small island states, Mauritius and Seychelles, several countries in Africa, particularly uh, uh, East African countries. Uh, and uh, also Middle East. So India, in many ways, uh, has established a network of, uh, you know, defense partnerships uh, or strategic relations uh, 
anchored on uh, our maritime cooperation that we have maritime security cooperation and uh, that has been uh, our strength and as also uh, this is something which has been welcomed by other extra regional powers including the united states in fact the united states uh, has regarded india as a strategic ally in, in the indo pacific region and uh, several extra regional countries uh, for example britain which has of course uh, certain territories in the indian ocean region as also france uh, have uh, you know looked up to india as uh, their strategic partner mm-hmm. uh, being the the primary uh, maritime power in the region so wanna, this is something which has been welcomed yeah i want to bounce right off what you just said now about the strategic alliance that you have in the in general the relationship that india has with a lot of western countries um and obviously india being the largest democracy uh one would argue that in the region it's probably the one country that is a lot more aligned to the western values than any other uh you know country uh in, in that particular region and i want to bounce off to um something more relative today that many have either been following or a lot more aware uh is the conflict in Europe between you know the war between Ukraine and Russia uh and we saw almost from the beginning how most western allies took these um, you know this very stringent position on imposing um strict uh, measures against um against Russia and we saw countries and we're going to talk about China as well uh because it's you know part of the interest uh, in this discussion but specifically on india as well we didn't really see india following into that trend uh or into those decisions that the western allies were um, were taking uh towards uh towards russia where are we at this point in time uh with respect to to that conflict and india's position specifically yeah it's a great question uh, george and i think i i would see this uh, these developments in in the larger context of uh, how the world order is evolving uh, and i believe uh, and many would agree with me that we are now in a post unipolar world uh, which means uh, america is not the sole superpower anymore and there are multiple we are moving towards a multipolar world order where there are going to be multiple power centers which includes india china united states russia and others uh now to when you talk about this conflict i think this is a question that was asked within days of the conflict having started uh, somebody asked the indian foreign minister about what was india's position whether it's going to be with the west or is it going to be with russia and uh, the foreign minister's response was that who says that there are only two positions there can also be a third position and which is our own position Uh, and india sees itself as one of the power centers in the world and india has always followed a policy of non alignment or uh, you know strategic exercising strategic autonomy in framing its foreign policy mm-hmm. so therefore india has very crucial interests russia of course has been a long term strategic partner and one of the largest defense suppliers for india for a long time in fact um, until some years ago 70% of all military equipment in india was uh, of russian origin i think currently that's at about 50% and over the years we have transitioned to buying more of western equipment so russia has always been a strategic partner uh, for a long time uh, but that said uh, india really does not support the conflict because uh, uh, recently at the shanghai cooperation uh, organization meeting prime minister modi uh, had publicly <coughs> 
admonished Putin by saying that this is an era of peace and this is not the time for conflict. And likewise, even in the past when <coughs> Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan, India was still a strategic partner, but uh, the Prime Minister then, Prime Minister Mrs. Indira Gandhi had actually uh, criticized uh, Soviet actions in Afghanistan. So while India really does not support the conflict and India has actually provided uh, a lot of support to Ukrainians uh, for humanitarian kind, including medical supplies and stuff like that, uh, India has uh, <coughs> also used this opportunity to buy oil from Russia, mm-hmm. which is something which has been criticized. But uh, then the India's position, India's position has been that Europe buys a uh, lot more oil and gas even at the time of conflict. Mm-hmm. And therefore, what we are buying, our supplies from Russia were of the order of about 1 or 2% of what we export from the uh, rest of the region. And therefore, it, this is an opportunity for in, in a time of crisis when the you know large number of countries are entering into a recession, uh, for India uh, to, be, to uh, not buy uh, oil from Russia uh, would be against our own national interests. Well, we see and, that also yeah. in, with the European countries as well. They haven't they haven't stopped because it is in the greater interest of the Europeans not to cut those supplies. Um, I get I understand that position. I, I, I'm I'm curious a lot more though on the relationship um, with the European and Western allies with respect to this position that India has taken. Has has it had any further impact? I mean, is there any pressure you think? Uh, on um, making a, a more uh, taking a greater stance? <clears throat> no, uh, I don't think so because uh, recently you know, we had a Quad summit, and um, America has actually America appreciates India's position uh, as also Europe, uh, and uh, India is uh, India continues to be a strategic partner with the United States and also maintain cordial relations with Russia and many of the European countries. Uh, and I think that position is respected uh, because uh, we see that uh, in terms of if you look at the number of engagements with America, uh, there's been no decline and there's been uh, no impact on India's uh, strategic cooperation with the United States or our cooperation with the European countries. So India has, uh, you know, as always, uh, non has followed a policy of non-alignment, which mm-hmm. many people would call as multi-alignment. Uh, which means uh, to engage or which uh, the foreign minister has often called as issue-based alignment. So India sees itself as uh, as an independent pole uh, in the world order and it follows uh, its own independent foreign policy, which means it will align with countries on certain issues. So we are aligned with the United States as we are aligned with Europe and also with Russia on certain issues. So that's how India's position is, uh, you know. We're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna circle back to the alliances because okay. I'd really like to uh, to pick your brain a little bit on the Indo-Pacific strategy that was just signed, I think, earlier this year in 2022. Uh, but before we get there, uh, just as a uh, as a pretext to that, I I want to discuss, you know, the relations in that specific region when we're talking about the Indo-Pacific region. Obviously, the countries that come to mind are India and China. They are. Uh, among the greater powers in that region that kind of control a little bit the balance of power. How how is how are things going in that region? I know there's always been kind of this race um, to have the the greater influence in the region with respect to India and uh, and China. Uh, how are things there uh, at this point? So yeah, uh, that's another great question. Uh, see, over, over the last two three decades, we've seen the rise of Chinese. Uh, 
political, uh, military, and economic power uh, in, in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, and um, uh, China is heavily dependent on trade, right? Uh, China has a long outstanding territorial dispute with India. And uh, China is a trade-dependent economy. In fact, more than 50% of the GDP comes from uh, trade. And uh, trade is carried by sea. Mm -hmm. And all the sea routes actually pass close to India. So that's a major strategic vulnerability of which China is very conscious. And, uh, uh, you know, since China has uh, uh, an ongoing dispute, a, a long outstanding territorial dispute with India, they are very conscious of this vulnerability. Uh, because India uh, being a strategic maritime partner and India has a huge geostrategic advantage in terms of location in the Indian Ocean region overlooking the Chinese shipping lanes. So over the years, we've seen that the Chinese have tried to dilute uh, or uh, try to neutralize this advantage by building uh, a stronger presence in the region. So the Chinese, for the first time, in fact, uh, in over a century, um, uh, they moved to the Indian Ocean on anti-piracy patrols, you know, uh, in 2008 or 2009. And since then, uh, they have not gone back. Mm -hmm. uh, they have uh, actually now made created a base in Djibouti, and they're looking at creating bases in other countries in the region, all with the aim of building a larger naval presence. Now, what has happened is that India, uh, being uh, a major uh, economic power in the region, uh, has certain spheres of influence, right? And uh, with the Chinese now coming in, there is obviously a clash of interests. And India is now obviously not going to tolerate. India sees itself, as I said, uh, as, a, as a pole uh, in the new world order. And obviously, India will not tolerate uh, any challenges to its sphere of influence. For example, in South Asia, uh, Chinese presence in Sri Lanka and Maldives is something which has been frowned upon by India. And uh, in fact, that is also one of the reasons why these countries are now uh, in a kind of a debt trap with China. China has, uh, if you look at uh, some of the Chinese projects that are going on, the Belt and Road Initiative, for example, that is something which seeks to build, uh, uh, you know, a network of uh, maritime uh, ports and, you know, which could be naval bases in the entire region, right? It is basically an attempt to uh, expand uh, their economic power and uh, political influence. Uh, and that indeed uh, really has, uh, uh, you know, uh, heightened the tensions between India and China in the region. So uh, that is something which has been going on and India has, uh, uh, India and the United States have tried to counter this, the Chinese influence in the region. Uh, and there are, uh, we see new projects being announced, for example, the Blue Dot, which is a project for extending aid, uh, you know, uh, to various countries uh, as an alternate to China. Uh, and various other projects that uh, India, Japan, and China are working on, and also the quadrilateral initiative, which is another thing in order to balance uh, Chinese uh, influence in the region. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the developments uh, that have been going on. It's very interesting because we saw almost immediately as Joe Biden was elected in the United States, there was this strategy to shift the attention away from the Middle East into Asia, uh, more specifically uh, on, uh, on, on China. Uh, so the fact that there's this uh, Indo-Pacific strategy that came out, um, I don't think it surprises anyone. But for the benefit of everyone listening, just can you give us just the main lines of what exactly that is? Okay. So this actually goes back to 2010, 2011, when Hillary Clinton, uh, who was the Secretary of State under President Obama, 
first announce a pivot to the east uh, wherein uh, what she implied was that the us would now focus move away from the middle east to focus more on asia pacific mm-hmm. uh, because that is where the threat uh, uh, you know came from from china and uh, this the pivot to the east is what we are seeing now uh, being operationalized uh, and uh, it that is not does not mean that the us interest or presence in the region has uh, been diluted in the middle east region it is just that the us is now more focused on asia pacific uh, and um, of course uh, now the asia pacific strategy has evolved over the years since 2011 when hillary clinton first announced this and today we have uh, something called the quadrilateral security dialogue going on between uh, united states japan australia and india and there's also recently uh, the aukus the a uh, the australia uh, uk uh, united states um, security dialogue um, a security arrangement uh, for providing nuclear propelled submarines to the australian navy mm-hmm. so these are developments that we see directly aimed at balancing chinese influence uh, which have come about and uh, i think what has happened is uh, you know as i said over the last two decades or so we've seen an expanding we've seen uh, an increase in chinese maritime and political influence uh the chinese navy has actually currently it stands numerically it is larger than the us navy mm-hmm. and uh these changes have happened uh, very recently in fact uh, the largest build up of uh, any navy naval force seen since the second world war has been the pla navy and uh, today the the pla navy has uh, formidable capabilities uh, in the maritime sphere and perhaps uh, <clears throat> you could say that the balance of power uh, uh, you know could uh, shift in favor of china uh, with a larger navy and that that's actually a challenge for america and i think the for a long time the us naval deterrent uh, seemed to have worked but that increasingly seems to be challenged by uh, a rising china mm-hmm. and in order to balance that uh, is uh, the, the us strategy seeks to basically balance that uh and uh, the quadrilateral dialogue the quad and the aukus are i think the uh, you know are, are recent developments which uh, seek to balance uh, chinese influence do you think there are positive prospects of these uh, of these initiatives in the region indeed indeed i think so uh and uh, for example as i said you know the chinese are dependent on trade the greatest vulnerability is the maritime trade which passes through the indo-pacific region mostly through the indian ocean region going out to africa for example the trade routes from china to africa pass very close to india which means if india could actually throttle uh, chinese trade uh, passing through the strait of malacca which uh, uh, hu jintao has you know called as uh, former chinese president called it as china's malacca dilemma uh if somebody could choke chinese trade through the malacca straits that would actually uh, uh completely disrupt uh, chinese uh, economy uh and uh, to some extent china has uh, tried to neutralize india's geostrategic advantage by uh, having a greater presence in the region but that all the the, the vulnerability remains because geography is something which really can't change and uh, what uh, in the you know let me talk about the quad the quad actually under the quad india uh, is also a strategic partner of the united states and india has access to sophisticated uh, us military platforms for example the p8i uh, maritime reconnaissance aircraft 
which is one of the world's most sophisticated uh, maritime reconnaissance aircraft. Now, India has currently about 12, I think. Australia has, uh, I think, an equal number. Japan has over 100 such aircraft. And therefore, all these aircraft can actually cover the Indo-Pacific region virtually, you know, track every ship in the region, mm -hmm. which gives us huge, uh, in terms of maritime surveillance, a huge advantage over China. And then you've got, uh, under the AUKUS, you've got uh, Australia getting new nuclear submarines, nuclear-propelled submarines, uh, which again uh, kind of tilt the balance of power in the favor of the West, or the, of the United States. Mm -hmm. So if you look at uh, technologically, uh, the quadrilateral and the AUKUS uh, have uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, these are kind of deter Chinese uh, maritime ambitions in the region uh, because uh, the, the you know the the, the the maritime patrol aircraft provides you complete coverage of the region and you got uh, the ability to carry out uh, targeting of vessels of interest which means effectively uh, the PLA Navy is quite powerless in the region <clears throat> if uh, you know all the four regional countries were to join hands. <clears throat> How how uh, how is China reacting to these um, uh, to these collaborations, these cooperations between all you know the Western allies uh, in the region? Yes. So initially, uh, China was quite skeptical, uh, and uh, the Chinese foreign minister, I think, uh, or the defense minister, is known to have once said that the Quad was like the sea foam, uh, which will disperse with really has no substance. But I think Chinese now increasingly view these developments with a great deal of concern because it's now clear that the Quad and the AUKUS uh, provide, uh, uh, you know, uh, tremendous uh, surveillance capacity uh, and the ability to target vessels of interest uh, in the region, uh, which uh, is very difficult for the Chinese to counter, really. And therefore, uh, China is obviously uh, not happy with these developments. And China has actually, now the biggest worry for China is that if the Quad, if other countries in the region were to bandwagon with uh, the Quad, in the sense that if they were to join hands with India, United States, Japan, and Australia, for example, Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, mm -hmm. these are countries which have issues with China. And if they were to strengthen the Quad, then uh, it would be very difficult for China to project uh, its power in the region. So, Yeah. Has there been any tangible impact that, that, that you've seen already in its export routes and in its um, in its attempt to uh, uh, to carry forward in its business? Well, uh, China continues to uh, strengthen its position in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, they have uh, uh, strengthened uh, the base at Djibouti. There is uh, they are also looking at. Uh, uh, bases in, uh, I believe, uh, in other regions in the Horn of Africa, I think in Eritrea, possibly. Uh, Gwadar in Pakistan is where they have huge economic interests, uh, huge investments, is another potential area where they could have a base that could uh, greatly counter India's geostrategic advantage. Hmm. So these are developments that we see. and uh, <clears throat> But currently, I think the balance of power stands in favor of the United States, because uh, helped by the Quad and the AUKUS um, in trade measure. Is there uh, is there a growing, because uh, I'm asking this question because obviously the media 
that we listen to over here, there's maybe there's some bias, maybe perhaps the reality uh, on that side of the planet is different, but there's growing concern about North Korea uh, in, uh, in, uh, in America. Uh, yesterday, I think, or before yesterday, we saw that they launched a rocket over Japan. So that uh, kind of uh, raised the alarm levels. Um, and we've known traditionally that China has uh, usually supported North Korea. Uh, how is that whole reality over there, and how is that playing into the the, the, the regional politics? Well, uh, this is nothing new. Uh, North Korea has done that in the past, and they continue to do so. And uh, you're right, uh, North Korea is uh, uh, an ally of the Chinese, and China has always supported them, uh, though uh, I would say that um, perhaps the Chinese may not always encourage them to do such things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in many ways, I think the North Korean leadership uh, do their own thing. Uh, <clears throat> and I think um, we've seen a pattern uh, every now and then the the, the, the the North Koreans will carry out a, a, a maybe a missile launch or something into uh, over Japan or into, into the waters uh, just to uh, up the ante. And uh, but really nothing much has uh, come out of it. But that continues to be a challenge. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's as I said, uh, the U.S. pivot to the the Asia Pacific, and which has now been operationalized through the Quad and the AUKUS. I think these are all designed to uh, uh, deal with such challenges that uh, you know would come up in the future. Um, tell me, I don't want to take up a lot of your time, uh, Shishir, but tell me a little bit, uh, you know, in, in the coming years, in the next maybe five to 10 years, how do you see uh, this shift happening in the region? Uh, you mean uh, in, in the Indo-Pacific region? Yes. I think uh, currently we see uh, uh, the Quad and the AUKUS are very recent developments. The AUKUS was announced only last year. And uh, it is yet to be operationalized in the sense that Australia is still to acquire those submarines. But there's also, uh, there are other developments in the offing. For example, uh, there's also talk of a joint partnership for hypersonic missiles to be fitted on the submarines and also for the, 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 the Boeing uh, aircraft. Now, these are uh, major developments. And uh, I think uh, in the coming years, we will see greater military engagement between uh, these four democratic countries, United States, India, Japan, and Australia. And uh, with that, I think uh, that's going to be more trouble for China, really. Uh, As also we see uh, the Belt and Road Initiative, which started off, uh, you know, um, with a bang, but uh, with many countries now entering into a debt trap, Sri Lanka, Maldives, and many countries entering into recession, I think that uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is probably going to suffer in the short term. So I think if we uh, look at a five-year horizon, I think we will see uh, greater military cooperation between United States, India, uh, which will help to kind of uh, uh, counter Chinese influence that we've seen growing over the last two decades. Interesting. If we can leave something to the listeners or to the viewers, um, you know, especially in the region, is there anything, any book or any uh, publication or anything either that you've read or that you've written that you highly recommend for anyone to maybe increase their knowledge on uh, on the matters uh, developing in the, in that region? Well, uh, <clears throat> I think. Uh... 
the latest uh, us uh, indo pacific strategy uh, is a very useful document which is actually a very slim book uh, maybe about 30 40 pages and it's available online uh, i would highly recommend that for those who are interested in uh, who uh, who have been tracking these developments in the indo pacific region that's one book and i would also take this opportunity to recommend my own book uh, on the subject uh, you know the india's india's maritime strategy uh, that's also available through rutledge so these are two publications i think uh, which uh, will give you a broad overview of what's going on and what's likely to happen over the next 5 uh, to 10 years very interesting uh, shishir uh again i want to thank you for your time uh you've brought uh, a lot of value i believe to uh to uh, to the listeners to the viewers of strategy international podcast i appreciate your time uh thank you so much for coming on thank you very much george it was a pleasure talking to you thank you everyone for following thank you for watching and we will see you again on the next episode take care Thank you for listening to the Strategy International podcast produced by Pod MTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere fine podcasts can be found.